0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Dory with you along with Chris Alexander as we're talking about horror films. And, Chris, right before the break, we were talking about what got you into this. I'll let you finish that part of the story up before we move ahead with more questions for you.
1: Yeah, George, I mean, I can trail. I need an editor, George. The editor needs an editor because I keep going. I, I can talk at infinitum item about this stuff. But you love yeah, this was, stuff. Why, I do. So it was the Wax Museum first, and I was terrified. I was trying to figure out why I was terrified. You know, I became obsessed, intellectually gravitating towards this before I even understood what that meant. But the first movie that really did me in, uh, it was 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the remake of the uh, Don Siegel movie by director Philip Kaufman, sorry, Donald Sutherland, Leonard Nimoy, and a very young Jeff Goldblum. Uh, I remember turning on the television. I was told by my parents I was not allowed to watch it. I was probably about five, six and I turned on the station that I knew was playing it just in time to see Donald Sutherland uh, caving in his clone's head with a garden hoe and all that blood and pus coming out of that. And on the soundtrack, there was a fetal monitor. I remember <laughs> I was, it was just like getting hit, hit upside the head with something. And um, that was it. There was no turning back from that point on. It was all about Sangoria magazines, horror comic books, the rock band Kiss, whatever weird stuff I could get my hands on. Uh, that was my life.
0: When were the very first horror films created?
1: You know, here's something really interesting, because the very first film period, or at least the prototype for a film, was kind of based around horror. That wasn't a horror film, but it was was kind of based. So cinema was invented on horror in many respects. There was a guy named Leland Stanford. He was the former governor of California. And on a gentleman's bet, he had a racehorse, and he was sitting at the track, and he was betting his buddies that the horse, when it jumped, all four legs would leave the track. And, of course, there was no way to uh, use photography to kind of capture that kind of motion. So he hired a guy named Edward Moybridge out of England. He, he managed to get him over to California to set up an experiment. And the experiment was setting up 12 cameras along the track. And when the horse ran, it would trip a wire, so the cameras would in succession, snap, 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 snap. And at the end of it, you were left with 12 photographs that when you put them on a board and you followed them from point A to, to the end, uh, it gave you the illusion of motion. Moybridge put these images on, on silhouettes, on glass slides, and projected them on a little magic lantern. And that was really the first prototype motion picture. But the interesting thing is, is Muybridge was actually had actually just murdered his wife's lover, blew his head off, Jeez. And was arrested, and mysteriously he ended up. Um, the charge was dropped. He was he literally got away with murder, so he could fly to California and do this experiment. So movies were invented on murder itself. Wow. Now, the first real, yeah, I know it's a crazy story, but it's true. Now the first real horror horror movie it was actually by the French filmmaker Georges Melies, and uh, I believe 1898. It was called House of the Devil. There was nothing scary about it at all, but it was the first bona fide uh, horror
0: movie. The uh, Karloffs, Lugosys, and Cheneys that we talked about in the earlier days, would they make it today?
1: You know, that's, that, that's a really good question. I mean, it's hard to retroactively go throughout history and think if you could import something from the past, would it thrive today? Because everything that exists today was built on the shoulders of the past. Um, but I know as a student of history and someone who you know, prefers to look back. You know, We're at this beautiful stage now with, with all pop culture, but all recorded pop culture, but no matter what we think we know, there's something we missed. So I'm constantly watching older films, constantly absorbing things that I, I missed. Now we're in this incredible world now where, you know, 4K Blu-rays and streaming, we can see things that we'd only read about previously. But I do know that when you watch uh, The Bride of Frankenstein, for instance, you can't imagine... Uh, a better film than The Bride of Frankenstein. However, you know clearly if The Bride of Frankenstein was made today as is, it would be laughed off the screen. So exactly. guys like Karloff, uh, Lugosi especially, I mean, can you imagine Bela Lugosi prancing around uh, in the multiplexes today? Blah, blah, blah. It wouldn't work. But at its time, products of their time, and uh, you know, coming out of nowhere, because there was nobody like these titans of terror at the time, um at their they were men of their time and certainly they were the again the founding fathers of fear you know and, and and when you look at them through the historical lens today i mean yes of course you can appreciate the performance and you can appreciate the grandeur that those that those men brought to the screen
0: what would you say might be some of the scariest horror films of all time Bar none? Well,
1: this is so well, I mean, this is so subjective because what scares you in life is not going to scare me. I mean, for instance, in The Father, when I had my when I had my children, I can't, I couldn't... Instantly, I couldn't watch movies where children were put in any kind of jeopardy anymore.
0: That no, was, I don't that blame was my
1: you. Panic. Right, that was my panic button. So we all have our own uh, different panic buttons or different stimuli that we cannot endure anymore in a fantasy context. That's over for us because it's too real. But that makes the movie that much scarier. But, I mean, I know for me that... Um, Movies like Nicholas Rogue's uh, "Don't Look Now," which are uh, you know again starring Donald Sutherland, there seems to be a theme here. um, Still Do Me, and it was made in 1973. It's a mood piece. Not it's not not high on action, but it's high on atmosphere and psychological subtext, and it still terrifies me to this day. George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead killed me when I was 11 years old, and it still kills me today. That's my favorite horror film of all time because it's firing on every cylinder. It's got great characters. It's a great war film. It's a great gore fest. And uh, it's, it's got social satire and subtext, and it's, and it's truly, truly a scary motion picture. David Cronenberg, my countryman, uh, came roaring out of the gates in 1975 with a scrappy little exploitation movie called Shivers about a sex parasite lives in a Montreal apartment building that still to this day, for all its cheapness and, and you know, technical ineptitude, is still a terrifying motion picture. I could go on and on. I've tried, George, to list my top 10 scariest favorite horror films. I end up at 100, and I've only scratched the surface. Wow. I kind of gave up. I gave up because I love them all. It's, I love them all for different reasons.
0: Actor Bruce Campbell seems to be in a lot of these kinds of films. How's he doing these days? Do you know?
1: Well, Bruce, Bruce I know Bruce. Bruce is a great guy and an interesting guy because Bruce is a brand in and of himself. And, and, and God bless him for that. But we talk about scary movies, and of course, I, I forgot to mention The Evil Dead. You know, nineteen seventy nine. Oh yeah, huge. Yeah, you know, a huge movie cost nothing. And here's a movie that you know, like the great horror films, the great independent horror films. They were scraped together by kids with a dream, and uh, with nickels and dimes. And it wasn't about what you know, what spending exorbitant amounts of money. It was about ingenuity and imagination. The Evil Dead is simply the premise. If you've never seen it, well, then there's something wrong with you. But yeah, get out there and see it. A bunch of kids go to a cabin and open up a book and read some stuff from the book. And next thing you know, they're all hacking each other to pieces as they become, uh, you know, sequentially possessed by these demonic forces. So very low on plot, but again, high on style, high on atmosphere. And Bruce Campbell played the character of Ash. Now, they spun that film into a, a trilogy of films and a television series, a remake. Uh, and I think there's another one in the works. But Campbell smartly, wisely, capitalized on his uh, fame in that film and has literally made a career in film and television and the convention, the horror convention circuit, um, you know, playing to his fan base. And uh, yeah, he's a great guy. He's, he's definitely a one of a kind.
0: You talked about cost like bell, Witch, cost pennies and made a lot of money, right?
1: Well, The Blair Witch.
0: yeah Blair Witch. Yes,
1: yeah, but you're right. Uh, it cost pennies, exactly. It was a bunch of guys, first-person film. I don't like The Blair Witch Project. I don't have to like The Blair Witch Project. It's not for me. For me, I like, you know, I like constructive fantasies. I don't necessarily like that wall being broken. That's a aesthetic choice. But you, know, you can't deny how uh, powerful that film was to an audience. And I can't believe that film was even... I don't think a film like Blair Witch Project would be released today to theaters. I think that was the last gasp of the cheap horror film mm-hmm. and screens and being successful. I mean, that movie really ruined people because, you know, the market, and that was mostly the marketing, man, because they really sold that, that it was actually an authentic experience that someone had found this tape of these kids getting uh, annihilated by some unseen force in the woods. And, you know, most people with half a brain knew that that was nonsense, but there was still a lot of people out there that were questioning what they were seeing, if it was real or not. And, uh, you know, that's how that's uh, the Blair Witch rests exclusively on that conceit.
0: Chris, here's an actor we haven't brought up yet, and I thought he was a great horror actor, Vincent Price.
1: And we should always talk about Vincent Price. Uh, we should always definitely talk about Vincent. And, and here's a guy that, it seems to be, if you look at it, outside of the Carlos and Lugosi's, who found their fame in horror, uh, you know, pretty much Karloff was a gigging actor uh, with, with very, varying degrees of success. And he was there in his late 40s by the time he became Frankenstein's monster. But, um, you know, a lot of these actors become horror stars. You either become a horror star while you're climbing, you're on the way up, and then you get out of it. Or as you're in your declining years, you latch onto it and that becomes your, your, your thing. And Price was already, you know, a very established character actor before he became a quote-unquote horror star. That wasn't until the 1950s with a little 3D movie, which is actually the first studio 3D horror film, a 3D film period. There was House of Wax, which is, again, if you like 3D movies, it's still, to me, for my money, the best 3D film ever made. If you see that thing projected in 3D, it's unbelievable. But that was successful enough that uh, Price became kind of a name, and then he followed that very quickly with The Fly. And then as we ooze into the 1960s, he started working with a guy named Roger Corman. And Corman was producing a series of films based on the, the works of Edgar Allan Poe. I actually writing a book about those films as we speak. And uh, yeah, Price became a household name when it came to horror. And he never looked back. It's something he carried literally to his last moments on this earth as he starred in uh, Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands back in, I think, 1988.
0: Not in 1959, he starred in the original House on Haunted Hill, which they've had several remakes. That I remember yeah. going to that movie with my dad as a kid. And it scared the living daylights out of me.
1: Let me ask you a question, because that was a film by well, the great gimmick master. We talk about uh, you know this horror director as a sideshow carny, uh, William Castle. And Castle's beat was he'd always throw some kind of gimmick in there. And when they uh, the original release of House on Haunted Hill in select theaters, they billed it as being filmed in something called Emergio. And what what that meant is was during a scene where the skeleton uh, was menacing a, a woman a skeleton would actually fly down on a wire into the theater and scare the hell out of everybody. Do you remember it with, the screening you saw? Was there a skeleton flying there was,
0: out There No, I don't remember the skeleton. I would have been out of there fast.
1: <laughs> you yeah. got ripped off, George. You, I, mean, that, would, I, I would have killed to have been alive in that period to experience some of those in, insane movies. And another one he made with Vincent Price was called The Tingler. And uh, you remember that film, and and what a great movie that is, even without the gimmick. But theater owners were instructed to wire every seventh seat, I believe, with some sort of mild electrical device, so that when the tingler creature jumped on the spine, uh, there's a sequence in the movie where Price starts yelling, scream for your life! And then they'd be instructed to let this current go off, and people would actually get an electrical shock, and again, send them screaming for the exits. So uh, those those gory, glory days of... uh, the carnival horror film, I think, are sadly long
0: gone. We're going to take calls next hour with Chris Alexander about haunted horror films. Share yours, or even ask him a question. What's the story of the situation in West Memphis, Arkansas?
1: Well, that was, you know, that's that's a that's a whole thing, in, in and of itself. But I, I think that's a. If anyone knows about the West Memphis three, the three young men who were uh, accused of murdering a a bunch of little boys in in West Memphis, Arkansas, about 25 years ago, in the early 90s. Um, You know, that's a case of if you love this stuff, if you love horror movies, if you collect horror films, if you read Fangoria magazine and you listen to heavy metal and you fit the profile and you're in the wrong place in the wrong time, the consequences can be deadly. In the case of that film, in in the Bible Belt uh, region of West Memphis, Arkansas, a guy named Damien Eccles, who was the ringleader of these kids, who just loved weird stuff, dressed in black, painted their fingernails black. Well, arrested, tried, and convicted of murdering these kids when there was no real clear. Evidence three children found was,
0: dead, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, they were chill- skinned, and they they started to say it was a satanic ritual, and it was must have been these kids because they liked the weird stuff, and it's one of the great travesties of justice. It's well documented in a series of films called Paradise Lost, three pictures. Uh, You get a chance find those films and watch them. You know, Damien is out now. He's a friend of mine, but he spent 20 years his entire burgeoning adult life. He was like 16, 17 when he was arrested on death row. In most of it, in isolation. And uh, now he's he's liberated. And his story post release is an amazing story too. And if you get a chance, you, you can find some of his books. He's he's a very prolific author and speaker now. But um, he never let go of his love of horror movies. People used to have to smuggle Fangoria's into the prison for him so he could he could catch up on the latest news. Well, did
0: they find the original killer? They,
1: you know what? They, they Again, watch these films. If any of your listeners have not seen the Paradise Lost films, they're just toe-curling. Unbelievable. Your jaw will drop. But it, it, they did find the killer, I believe, and it was one of the stepfathers of the children. But the issue was it, the case is so old at this point the man is dead so there's no way of prosecuting him uh, so sadly this none of this story ends well for anybody um, even the boys who are now out i mean they a big chunk of their lives are gone and and none of this would have happened to them if, if they didn't weren't horror movie fans which I, I just find to be a very strange cautionary tale
0: that's amazing the twilight zone classic i love those shows how about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, Twilight Zone. I mean, you know, again, those formative years. Man, like talking about the Wax Museum, the Body Snatchers. You know, I can chart it all. In the, I, I was I was raised in a family that that you know my relatives, close and far, liked movies, so I was always exposed to this stuff. And my father, like, probably leaned probably heavier into science fiction. Uh, and Twilight Zone offers the best of both because it's fantasy, science fiction, it's horror, it's morality tales. And, I used to stay up late with him and and watch reruns of The Zone. Obviously not in the first run. I wasn't even a glimmer in anyone's eye at that point, but back in the 70s when they were started to rerun, uh, I would watch The Zone, and The Zone became a point of fascination for me. I don't have many tattoos, George. I'm not a tattoo guy. Me either. I do have have one tattoo on my arm that is the spiral from, I believe, Season 4 of The Zone with the door itself in the middle of that, and uh, that is my manifesto. That is it. Loud and proud saying that I am a Rod Serling disciple for life. I am obsessed with the Twilight Zone. It is my go-to uh, anytime I'm feeling like I need some kind of reminder uh, about great writing. Because Serling to me is one of the great writers, great moralists of, of all time. He just happened to choose television as his vessel.
0: Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.